Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 16 of the Elevate podcast. The podcast that's out to document and elevate the human experience through conscious conversation. I'm your host, Hayden Humphrey, and I'm incredibly excited to be sharing with you my conversation with Maria Ross. Maria is a brand strategist, author, and speaker who believes cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. After a successful corporate career, she started her own brand strategy consultancy, Red Slice, helping entrepreneurs and fast growth companies create an irresistible brand story and position to better connect themselves with customers. Maria is on a mission to make the world more empathetic. In this episode, Maria and I talk about the importance of vulnerability in connecting with people, as well as her latest book, The Empathy Edge, which discusses the power of empathy and how businesses can use it to their advantage to get the most out of their employees, in addition to making work more human. As always, thanks so much for being here. It means a lot you've decided to spend your time with us, and I'm excited to share this episode with you. Maria, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. How are you? What has been going on with you recently? Um, well, like everyone else, I think I've been adjusting to a new normal right now. And um, from a personal perspective, learning how to navigate that with having my husband working from home and my son homeschooling right now. Mm. But from a professional perspective, helping people understand how they can still keep their businesses and their message and their visibility flowing and nurturing the the community that they've already built during this really rough time, helping mm. them understand how they can be reaching out as an individual or as a brand to really show up for their tribes, uh, whether that's their customers, their clients, their colleagues, their community, all the C's, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's just, it's a really, it's a really interesting time. And um, I'm seeing a lot of people start to talk about less about like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And, and more about like, what can I do with my platform to help other people right now, which is yeah. really encouraging. So I'm just out there talking about that, still posting on social media, you know, don't neglect your business just because there is no business right yeah. now, all that kind of stuff. Totally. It's been interesting. I have definitely gone through a lot of those similar sentiments and looking at, you know, what I'm up to in my business and mm -hmm. how do I need to pivot and, you know, how do I need to, to shape shift um, or at the very least just get conscious of, you know, what's going on mm -hmm. uh, in the world. Um, I'd be curious for you too, we were talking a little bit about it, but uh, you mentioned that you have a, a child that you're now homeschooling. Like what's that been like, like being quarantined, like how's oh that? Oh my gosh! Well, we're lucky. I'm I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area, and at least mm -hmm. you know we can still get out. We can. I mean, I'm right near the ocean, so we can nice. we can go exercise. We can go for a walk. We can take him on a bike around the block, which I know is not necessarily a luxury that people living in cities have. Urban areas have, mm -hmm. uh, even though I'm technically an urban area, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so it's been interesting. It's been really. It, it's. You know, I've always said that entrepreneurship was one of the most, the biggest personal development exercises you can go through. Yeah. I changed my mind. It's, it's dealing with a quarantine. <laughs> so, because, yeah, new number one. <laughs> new number one, because it's learning how to juggle everything that's going on. It's learning how to be really adaptable, which is, is something I preach, but it's really hard when you're someone that does like to stay on a schedule. And right. 
you know, you have to deal with all these other constituents. You have to deal with like his teachers trying to figure things out and sending mm -hmm. us things late in the day versus first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, so you make this great schedule that adapts to your work schedule and it just goes out the door by like 9 a.m. So, mm -hmm. uh, and then also practicing a lot of what I preach in the book that just came out, The Empathy Edge. I've been going back to the habits and the practices that I wrote about in the book because it's about having empathy for yourself. It's about having empathy for your spouse or your partner, um, having empathy for my child, having empathy for his teachers, yeah. still being able to voice and get what I need from my days and, and from other people. So mm. um, it's just a huge exercise in adaptability, resilience, and, and empathy and creativity, quite frankly. Like, yeah. what do you do to keep your kid not in front of the TV all day while you're on a work call, you know? So yeah. it's been really interesting to see parents sharing resources and just within his school, but also my community online um, and see so many um, artists and entrepreneurs and companies step up and say, we're going to do, we're going to help, you know, we're going to offer free access to zoom. That's what zoom did for K through 12 schools or just individuals. Like there's a children's book author, Mo Willems, who's doing daily half hour art projects with kids oh, that's awesome. every day through the Kennedy center. You know, like everyone's just sort of revisiting their talents and going mm -hmm. with my talents. How can I help right now? And that's I love that. super exciting. So. I love that so much. It's so interesting, you know, this piece around, you know, we're now not only physically, but also emotionally and mentally in close quarters with each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't have the normal like, hey, I'm out at work all day or, I'm, you know, I'm going to do whatever. Like we don't have the normal distractions and we're now in this mm -hmm. place where we have to figure out how to be with each other in a, in a totally different way. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I've totally found that to, to be the case. You know, I'm lucky in that I work from home. And mm -hmm. so, you know, not much has changed in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, given everything that's happened in, you know, the business landscape, the types of folks that I'm looking to support. Um, I'm now in a place where my, my more natural tendency towards introversion is coming up. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but, but it's great because yeah. like I, you know, I now have this opportunity to spend much longer periods of time, you know, doing deep focused work mm -hmm. and brainstorming and ideating and coming up with all of these ideas that before when I was running out of the house every other day to, you know, go get coffee downtown or mm -hmm. to, you know, go to a networking event or whatever it was, it felt like I was always like on the go and I didn't have quite the mental space to be able mm -hmm. to create that. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think that there's um, some positives and silver linings and you know, everything that's happened. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's kind of where that empathy comes in because, you know, you're describing the exact opposite of my reality right now. <laughs> so mm -hmm. normally, normally Sorry. I work from home. No, that's okay. I mean, I think it's, it's totally something that we should yeah. talk about because, that's normally my reality. Although I, I will say I'm with you with the like, I'm out and I'm on the go and I'm like, I never enough time in the day, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm in a situation where like I'm working in 15 minute increments because mm -hmm. I have my husband and my son and we have to like juggle around each other and I have to be like schooling my son while I'm trying to get work done. So it's like, you know, I, I, I sort of have that mental space from the day to day Mm -hmm. but then also my day-to-day -day has gotten a lot more complex. And so um, I love what you said about that because I think the other angle to this is those of us who have worked from home and I've worked from home since I started my business in 2008 and I was always mm -hmm. a corporate person mm -hmm. for that. Those of us who work from home are, are really 
it's, it's eye-opening what's happening right now because we see that we have been in this luxurious situation for a really long time. Yeah. We, know, we know how to use Zoom and do video conferencing calls. We know how to manage our time autonomously working from home. We, we know a lot of that, like it's second nature to us to like, you know, create a video and send it off. But right. you know, like school teachers, for example, they are spinning because they, this is not their world. They're like, well, how do I work from home and teach a class? And like, what is this video conferencing software? And like, oh, I need to make videos now for these kids. And, right. you know, you realize like all these things I took for granted working in the entrepreneurial space as like, this is just how things get done. The majority of people don't are not used to working that way. And we've yeah. got to be really compassionate with them right now because they are just in a frenzy. Totally. Yeah. A lot of um, uh, changed up routines and new norms. <laughs> for <laughs> sure. Moment. For sure. And like I said, I think that resilience and creativity is like the key right now. Yeah. Um, so I... Uh, uh, told the folks a little bit about what you're up to and who you are in the intro to this show. But um, I'd love to have you talk a bit more about the businesses that you run, the work that you do out in the world. Um, and as a secondary question, um, since you just mentioned it, I'd also love for you maybe after that to talk about what it was like becoming an entrepreneur in 2008 with the recession. Like if that was, <laughs> if that impacted you, like how that was mm -hmm. um, and looking at some parallels now, but yeah, I just love to hear from you. Like, what are you up to in the world? Um, what is, what does your work consist of? Um, yeah. like, what are you up to? Yeah. So I was, like I mentioned, I was a corporate person. I had a, a very successful corporate career for a really long time in management consulting and in marketing. For, for companies big and small, global companies, and then like shoestring startups. And um, I went off on my own in 2008 to start my own brand consultancy, Red Slice, which has now been my longest running job ever. <laughs> nice, congrats. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so I, um, I help companies, I help entrepreneurs, I help mostly fast growth companies. So startups, a lot of them in the tech space, but not all of them, who are trying to create the right, brand story, the right message, the right positioning in the market that not only attracts the people they're trying to attract and mm -hmm. obviously grow their revenue help them stand out, but also, also in a way, um, especially for the companies, re-energizes their employees to be recommitted and realigned to the mission of the company. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I help, I help them do that. And um, like I mentioned, I also help solo entrepreneurs do that where they're trying to stand up a business. They're trying to create, you know, become a consultant or a coach or just build any sort of online business uh, or offline. And they just need help like, oh my gosh, how do I even start explaining what this thing is and how I provide value and who is my target audience and how am I different and all of those basic brand questions. But I also write books. Um, I uh, have written a book called Branding Basics for Small Business. Um, I wrote a memoir about a very personal experience called Rebooting My Brain that was mm. about recovering from a, a near-fatal brain aneurysm. Mm. And then this last, in the last year, the last six months, I've released a book called The Empathy Edge, Harnessing the Value of Compassion as an Engine for Success, because uh, I spent three years researching empathy in business and what is the data and the research and the case studies around how empathy is not just good for the world, it's actually good for business. Mm. And my sneaky hope with that book is to actually make the world more empathetic by speaking to people's selfish motives about like, nice. oh, I want to be a better leader. I want to get more out of my team. I want to drive revenue. I want to, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not so sneaky when you read the book. It's pretty transparent. But, <laughs> but really talking about it in terms of what can people do? Like what actions can they take? We can all agree that we want the world to be empathetic and we would like to be more empathetic in our work. But most people don't know where to start. So I wanted to, one, make a case for it for skeptics to say, here's the research, here's the data. And number two, give people a practical playbook. Um, myself included, who people always go, oh, you know, are you really an empathetic person? I was like, well, allegedly I am through some strengths tests I've taken, but I don't know that my husband would agree with you. Um, So yeah, so like I I think we mentioned before the call, you know, I'm kind of going back to those practices in the book every day now that we're kind of this new reality and Mm -hmm. it's been helpful. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I'm I'm doing right now. So still continuing to work with clients and, and do, I'm doing a lot of trainings around empathy right now. Um, and also just continuing to reach out and reconnect with prospects and clients to keep that, keep that burner going. Totally. Yeah. I love that. Um, it's, you know, it's interesting as I get further into my own coaching business, as I continue to do my own interpersonal work, it becomes clearer and clearer to me, the value of that sort of thing, like empathy in business or compassion in business okay. or spirit in business, you know, however, however you want to slice it. Um, okay. and it's interesting because it doesn't feel like that's the prevailing dogma or doesn't okay. feel like that's the prevailing paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's, there's so much value in so much power in being able to shift that kind of paradigm for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd be curious, like, where did that start for you? Like, where did this mm-hmm. interest in empathy actually start for you? Well, a couple of different vectors. So kind of going back to your, your question before of just sort of starting the business in 2008, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, even though I'm a brand strategist, I kind of screwed up my, my brand and positioning at first because we're the, you know, consultants are the worst at being their own clients, right? So <laughs> yeah. we can tell other people what to do. Um, but I, I really brought myself into my business and I was sort of at a point, and I don't know if it was because of being so pissed off with being in technology marketing for so long, mm-hmm. that I was like, I'm going to do this my way. Right. And I had people saying like, well, you can't bring that into your brand. Like, you know, you can't mention that you do independent theater and acting on the side on your website because clients won't take you seriously. And all this just stupid advice about, you know, how to separate your work and your life. And when I finally just stopped listening and just said, no, I'm, I'm going to talk about my credentials and what the value I can deliver, but I'm going to bring me to the equation because if, that turns anybody off, they're probably not my ideal client anyway, right? So if I really want to bring my whole self to my business, people have to understand what it's like to work with me. They have to know what they're getting into, right? It's like a relationship. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and to my, to my pleasure, I found that actually those things that I brought in from my personal life that I blended into my brand as a business are the very things that attracted fabulous clients to me. And Mm -hmm. so if, you know, it it was the more that I went along, I've been doing this for now for 12 years on my own. Every year that goes by, I learn that lesson over and over again. And I've been able to sort of like tweak and and tailor that message so that now I'm really clear on like who I want to work with and who I am to work with. Nice. What value I can bring. So um, to kind of coming full circle to your question, I think that's part of the power of bringing empathy and compassion and humanity back to our work. And that's why I love the words you said, because I'm exactly trying to do that. I'm trying to flip the script. Mm. It means to be successful. Mm-hmm. And 
this idea, and I, I have to admit, I subscribed to this early in my career too, of like, there's my work life, yeah. my personal life. And then finally, it's taken you know, to now of the incoming talent generations coming into the workplace, demanding a different type of workplace, mm. for people to finally wake up and go, people, this is where you spend the bulk of your time Right, is working. Like, do you really want to be two separate people? Mm. and act differently. Why can't we bring compassion and humanity into our work? We're, we're there like eight, nine, 10, some people 12 hours a day. Mm. It makes mm-hmm. no sense to think we're going to be awesome people when we, when we close the laptop at the yeah. end of the day, when we've been horrible people for 10 <laughs> hours of that day. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so, you know, I'm rambling a little bit, but it's kind of coming full circle to this idea that you're talking about, which is, I think we are waking up to more people questioning that dogma that you said. Yeah. Saying, no, we, we deserve better than this. This is ridiculous. Why has there, you know, it's sort of like somebody waking up from a, from a, from a, you know, a haze and going like, what are we doing? Yep. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. It's so it, like, I love everything that you just shared. I so agree with it. And it, it fits inside of this larger idea of like, how do we make work more human? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause that's I mean, like, why else are we doing anything if exactly. we're not doing it for our own benefit? Um, I have been, you know, going through some rebranding myself and some brainstorming about, you know, where I want to go and who I want to work with. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I keep coming back to is this idea paid to be themselves. Mm-hmm. Experience of a career where you're not performing at all. Like you're just showing up 100% authentically as yourself in every moment. And because you're bringing that authenticity, because you're most likely as a result of of being very heart-centric and heart-led, you're actually being compensated for that. Um, and supporting people in realizing, you know, it doesn't have to go the way that it normally goes or the ways that, you know, that you've seen it go. You can actually create something totally different, but likely mm-hmm. it's going to require a totally different approach than what you've been used to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a caveat to that too, of like, you can't let it all hang out in a professional environment, right? <laughs> like, this yeah. is where I think people are scared to say, bring your authentic self to work because then you get people that abuse that. Right. (laughs) Um, So that's where I think the empathy comes in. It's like understanding, yes, you need to bring your authentic self to your business and to your clients, but you also have to remember there's other people in the room. Mm. Like you have to remember there's, you know, it's one thing to be like, I'm going to bring my whole self to my business and I'm going to talk about whatever I want on my Instagram feed. And it's like, Mm. okay, but is that actually adding value to the people that you're trying to attract? Right. If it is then yeah, if that's what they want and they need and the benefit they want from following you, great. But if it's just an ego trip for you, then that's mm-hmm. when you need to be like, okay, let's throttle back a little bit on <laughs> So I, I think it just takes that self-awareness of like, and this is how I've written my books too. It's like every time I write, it's like, okay, why am I writing this? Mm-hmm. And what is the person reading this going to get out of it? And it, even if it's a story about myself, like, you know, we're talking here about me and my experience in my mind, I'm constantly going, how do I turn that into a lesson for the people listening? Mm-hmm. How do I, how do I make that relevant instead of it just being like, here's my great story. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and we all know those people, we've seen those social media mavens and influencers that you're just like, ugh, like, what are you doing? (laughs) So um, I think it's a balance of bringing your authentic self to work and then combining that with empathy and compassion for your audience and remembering that in the end, it's all about you can be you, but how can you be you and still provide value? 
Totally. Um, the, the piece that I love in what you just shared is around that generating self-awareness and sharing that with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and how fundamental that is to your success and your just experience of life more generally for, for anybody and how, you know, entrepreneurship can be such an incredible vehicle for self-growth and development because there's nowhere to hide. It's either working or it's not. Exactly. <laughs> you know? There's no, I love that. There's nowhere to hide. <laughs> like, it's going to show you, like, it's going to yeah. show you the places where, you know, where, where, uh, you might have insecurities and might have holdings or like whatever it is. But, mm-hmm. um, I'd be curious for you, like, how do you make that a proactive endeavor? Like, how are you consistently looking at the areas, you know, in your own psyche and leadership and, you know, areas of self-awareness? Like, how are you proactively going about growing those things? Oh, I love, first of all, I love that you assume that I'm doing it right. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, but no, I think, I think sharing your mistakes is just as valuable as sharing your successes. And I, I will admit, I, I, what I, I'm not always like I get in that rut and that's when you need to, when, when things are going downhill, when you start to feel like bored with what you're doing or if sales are dropping or mm-hmm. if you're not getting the interactions or the inquiries, you have to take a look at that and go, okay, this, let me not take this personally, but what is going on? Like, what do I need to tweak? What do I need to test? What do I need? What do I need to do to pivot? You know, whether you're in a crisis or not, you should be constantly asking yourself that. And over the years I've had, I've had smashing successes and like, you know, awesome failures, spectacular (laughs) failures. You know, (laughs) I've had like really great programs and offerings that I've launched and have been super successful. And I've had others that were like crickets, you know? Mm. And so it's, it's always being able to look at that and go, number one, remember, it's not me. It's not, this is not an indictment of the value that I'm able to offer the world. Right. Because then then that's why you have to save those successes. Like keep them in a a file drawer, keep them in an email box, like keep those kudos. So on those times when you're feeling really low, you can, you can bolster your confidence again. And you know, we say confidence, not arrogance, right. For a reason, because Mm -hmm. confidence implies there's a level of self-awareness there. Um, You can be confident, but always know that you need to keep learning and growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, if, if you get to the point where you think, you know, everything about what you do, that's a problem. Like, <laughs> you need to, you need to, you know, so, but, and I think that's the thing about being self-aware about constantly checking in of where people are and are they with you, right? Like are, sometimes you can launch something and no one responds and it's like, okay, wait a minute. What about this? Where were we misaligned? Mm-hmm. And to always be sort of looking at that and going, or, you know, you have that hit, right? You have that, you have that podcast that goes viral, right? Hayden? Um, right. Yes, exactly. Bingo. <laughs> exactly. And, you have that, and then you go, okay, let me look <laughs> at this and try to dissect what I did that res like, how did I hit this nerve? What did I do? I have, a, I have a friend who is a serial entrepreneur and she's started like 24, 25 businesses. She's mm-hmm. never worked for someone else a day in her life. Nice. And she said, that's the, that's her magic power. She's not always like the best bookkeeper or the best, like creating a strategic business plan. What she is one of the best people I know at doing is she's able to see when she's striking a chord mm. and she's able to then amplify that and go, okay, Ooh, that's something people want to talk about. How can I, how can I offer value on top of that? How can I, you know, quite frankly, monetize it? How can I add that to my business? Because this is something clearly people want and need. So Mm. staying Mm -hmm. attuned to that is so important. And again, another place where empathy helps you greatly to understand you need to see things from 
your audience's point of view. I love that. It's like the thing, one of the main things I hear in that is this consistent feedback and consistent questioning and just asking questions like Mm -hmm. what's working about this or what's not working about this. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I, uh, you know, interestingly, very recently, actually, mostly due to everything that's been going on, I came to realize some things that I had been resisting in my business as far as marketing Mm -hmm. um, that have always it's been there, but for whatever reason, you know, I had been resistant to actually learning. And when I sat down and really gave it some thought, I, I, real, I realized that if I were to put these things in place, then it would actually work and I would get results and I wouldn't be able to be in this story or this place of like, oh, it's not working because of X or it's not <laughs> as big as I'd like it to be because of Y. Mm-hmm. Like I actually get to just um, in, in a very weird way, stay in this comfortable place of like, well, it's not as big as I'd like it to be or, you know, whatever it is. And so mm-hmm. like the piece that I love in what you just shared is getting clear on what are the behaviors or what are the things that I'm doing to get in my own way. And mm-hmm. once I realize it, you know, I can then move it out of the way and do something about it. Right. Uh, and one of the questions that I love to ask people on this show is like, when you look at the things that you're up to, like, what are the ways that you have historically gotten in your own way? <laughs> Every day. Um, I think, I think one of the biggest, well, quite a few, but one of them is being resistant. And I've gotten a lot better about this since I become an entrepreneur, by the way, because this Mm -hmm. is what I preach is I've become a lot better about asking for help. Again, Mm -hmm. that idea of like, you don't have to have all the answers. There's no way, especially if you are an entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur, there's no way you're going to be good at every aspect of running your business. It, mm-hmm. it might be good at what you do. Like for me, I'm very good at brand strategy and messaging. I'm less good at budgeting. I'm less good at social media. I'm less, you know what I mean? Like you can't be all the things in, mm-hmm. in your business of one, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be able to ask for help and understand, you know, so that's been a huge, a huge practice for me. The other is at the same time, trusting your gut, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's so many courses and programs out there that promise you like, you know, use my templates and you'll get a seven figure business and you'll do this and you know, learn how to market it this way. <laughs> and I'm always seduced by those too. Right. right. But, it, but in the end, when I do try them once or twice, I'm so disgusted because back to authenticity, they're not me mm. and they wouldn't be, it's not marketing I would want to receive. Mm-hmm. So, like, why would I put it out into the world? I mean, mm-hmm. there's definitely best practices and things like that that you can learn. But if something doesn't feel good to you from a promotional standpoint, and when I mean feel good, not that you're uncomfortable because people are uncomfortable, you know, doing video or people are mm-hmm. uncomfortable speaking in front of a group or they're uncomfortable networking. You need to push yourself on those. But if it feels gross to you, yeah, yep. <laughs> don't do it. Like, it, mm-hmm. yes, it might totally have worked for someone else with a different personality and a different vibe and attracting a different type of audience. Um, but if it doesn't work for you, um, I've learned over and over again that when I listen to my gut and I kind of do it my way, even though I'm like, oh, I'm not quite following the best practice, you know, it, <laughs> right. it, it you know, nine times, not every time, but eight times out of 10, it turns out to be the right move. 
Totally. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Cause I think that's so important and, you know, something that I've definitely seen come up in my own business, you know, looking at how I've been approaching marketing or sales or okay. social media or like whatever it is and being like, this is, you know, unconsciously realizing after the fact, like, Oh, this is how I saw everyone else doing it. And it doesn't have to go that way. Okay. Like I could actually create something that's totally different for me, but it requires me to trust my gut and okay. trust my intuition okay. versus trusting, you know, what other people might be telling me or, or, you know, what I've quote unquote seen as best practices or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it might be. Right. Um, and it's the balance of that that's hard, right? Because you do want to ask for help and you're not an expert in everything and you want to, you want to find out those best practices, but then being able to discern, well, what parts of that can I take right. and absorb and apply? And what right. parts of that are like, mm, you know, oh, I don't know the seven email sales funnel when someone downloads something I don't hero's know journey yeah yeah i'm like and yeah. eh, yeah, i don't know if that's so me right nice. <laughs> so, and maybe i'm missing out on millions of dollars but i mean yeah. it's it's, it's worked pretty well so far for me. Yeah, I love it. Well, and it feels good. I think that's the whole idea too, is like, how do you, you know, for me, it's like, how do I, you know, how do I create a business that's that where I get to wake up every day and be myself just authentically to the core mm -hmm. and do things that feel good and do things that bring me joy and bring other people joy mm -hmm. um, where I get to play. Like if I'm not playing and having fun with it, then something's wrong. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the one of the things you know, obviously that we've been talking about a lot is empathy, um, and and I'd be curious for you specifically because I, I think different people have different definitions of it. So, like, what when you think about empathy, like, what does empathy mean to you? Yeah, so empathy in the in a business context, and I you know when I interviewed people for the book, and you look at definitions, there's like a billion different nuanced definitions of it. Um, but really what I get down to in the book is that empathy is not a feeling, it's a mindset. It's a perspective mm -hmm. of being able to see things from another person's perspective and then further using that information to inform your actions so that your actions are then compassionate actions, right? It doesn't mean mm -hmm. giving people what they want. It doesn't mean being a doormat or caving into crazy demands. It just means being able to have a situation where you're able to adopt another person's point of view and use that to inform your reactions, how you're going to frame things, the, potentially the decisions that you're going to make, mm -hmm. because you're not just looking at things through like, here's what I think, and this is why I'm right and everyone else is wrong, right? Nice. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's a perspective taking that can lead to a compassionate action. There's lots of people who take an empathetic perspective, but do nothing with that empathy. So right. for me, the important part of it is how do you put it into action? I love that. Well, I even think about it from like a leadership perspective. Mm -hmm. And if I was following somebody who was more empathetic and I knew was actually taking how I thought about things into account or what mattered to me into account, I'd be so much more likely to want to follow that person and, you know, in, get enrolled in their vision and support whatever it is that they're creating versus someone who's like, well, this is how I want to do it. And I don't really care about <laughs> what, what you're bringing or what you, yeah. you think about it. Well, you're echoing all the data and research that shows that, um, you know, people will work longer hours sometimes for an empathetic boss or an empathetic company. Research shows they will often sometimes work for less pay, not that you mm -hmm. want them to, but they'd be right. willing to. And they're much more loyal. They will, they, companies can retain their best talent if they create an empathetic environment. Otherwise their top talent is going to go somewhere where they, where they are seen, heard and understood. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're, you're nailing it on exactly what all the research and the data show. Um, of, of yeah. successful leaders and also successful cultures within a company. Um, I also loved what you said about the, 
not, you know, not having empathy be mutually exclusive from results. Um, there's a, uh, there's a book called conversations with God. Um, it's, uh, it's more a spiritual book than anything else, but in the book, they talk about how, um, one perspective that they share is that there are basically two base emotions and the two base emotions are fear and love and everything else kind of boils down into either fear or love. And I, you know, I think it's really interesting when I look at the world and when I look at leadership and when I look at results creation through that lens, because I think the prevailing paradigm is that fear-based actions, um, oh man, what would I, how would I even put this into words? Like, uh, action taken from a place of fear um, mm-hmm. generates results. So being a very demanding leader and, mm-hmm. you know, getting the quote unquote most out of your employees and having them work really hard and, you know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think sometimes that there's a, a fear that if they let go of that, like mm-hmm. if companies let go of those sorts of management mm-hmm. styles or those sorts of leadership styles, that they won't be able to create the same results. And from what you're sharing, it sounds like that's just not at all the case. It's not at all the case. And actually all the research and studies, and if you look at studies done by Google on their own people, their own projects, where empathy and collaboration is present is you increase innovation, you increase collaboration, you increase, like I, I mentioned before, loyalty. People actually get stuff done when they feel safe. Mm. So again, you have to have the aptitude there. It's not that you can only be empathetic and expect, but Google was founded as a company by saying that only like brainiac technologists could come up with innovation. They used to not <laughs> even look at MBAs. They used to not even look at, it was just computer technology, computer scientists. And they did a study, uh, years ago called Project Aristotle, where they looked back at the the makeup of the teams of their most innovative products in the market. And they found that those teams were not necessarily the smartest people in the room. They Mm. were the teams with leaders and and people that demonstrated empathy, collaboration, and better communication. Mm. Because they were actually able to get stuff done. They weren't looking over their shoulder all the time. Their Mm. minds were free to invent, to be creative, to be innovative, because they didn't Mm. have all that other junk to worry about. And so that's what I would say to somebody that says, well, leading by fear. It's like, yeah, that might work in the short term, but Mm. you're not going to get there. People are going to do the bare minimum. Then Mm. you're not going to get in, you're not going to get people taking risks. You're not going to get innovation. You're certainly not going to over time lead the market with a team like that. Yeah. So, you know, those other companies are just going to blow right past you. Mm. And um, I love that there's, like I said, you know, we, I think a lot of us have had that conversation and intuitively known that for a long time. Now there's data to back us up, which mm. is great. Nice. Um, it's very, uh, I think it's a very similar note. One of the things that I have been looking more at in my business, cause I work as a one-to-one coach, but then I also do corporate trainings is like, how do I bring more play into everything that I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Um, not only from a coaching perspective, but also, you know, in the corporate workshops perspective. And, um, I am an avid improv enthusiast. I, um, uh, do a lot of improv around Chicago. Yeah. Um, and it's one of <laughs> my favorite geek. I love it. <laughs> um, it's one of my favorite things because it's such a cool opportunity to do nothing except show up and play. Like there's literally no point. There are very rarely rules. You're just getting together with a bunch of people and you're just making things up. Um, and I, I find that I'm able to get into a, like a, a much more creative space there. Mm-hmm. And it's now a question of like, how do I take that into companies mm-hmm. and how do I 
I, you know, support companies and realizing like, hey, this is actually, you know, a way that you can have your employees feel much more creative, feel more, you know, psychologically safe, um, you know, and at the same time, create much larger results uh, for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would actually be something I'd be curious about for you, like as you're, you know, going out and having these conversations with companies and, you know, going through these trainings and talking with different leaders, like how do you connect with and support someone who might be resistant to this kind of idea in realizing like the, the power uh, of, of what it could mean to bring more empathy into what they're doing? Yeah. And, and just quickly to your point, that, that idea of vulnerability, there's a lot of people out there talking about vulnerability. There's even a TED, a TED talk or a TED-like talk mm-hmm. <laughs> called Vulnerability is Sexy by one of the, <laughs> one of the folks I interviewed for the book. Yeah, um, yeah, and so it really is about when, when, you, when people can let their guard down, they can get to know each other, and then they can start to understand context and find mm-hmm. common ground. So let's say you go into that meeting where someone's being a total jerk, right? And they're not delivering. They're not, I don't know what, you know, whatever, pick your, pick your flavor of, of mm-hmm. dysfunction. What you may find out if there's context, if that person could be vulnerable, you might find out that person is dealing with an aging parent at home mm-hmm. and they're under a lot of stress, right? They might be going through a divorce. Their kids mm-hmm. might be having trouble at school the project that you're working on with them might be triggering emotions from a past failure that they had. Mm. You can't strip away to any of that unless there is some vulnerability and trust so that then you can at least have the conversation, understand the context, and then that person can relax a little bit, right? Mm. And then you can start to get productivity and innovation and all that good stuff out of that person. But I think this is why there's a few practices in the book from leaders that I spoke to where they talk about the fact, number one, that they, they start meetings talking to each other about what's personally going on for them before they even start talking about business. And it makes the meeting much more productive. Now that everybody's sort of masks are off. Nice. Now, now when you react badly to something that I say, Hayden, I might go, oh, okay, because you just revealed your potty training your kid at home. Like, right. I get it. Like, I get where you are, right? right? And then you can, at least there's not like defensiveness that leads to no, no conclusion, no action. At least I can be like, okay, I hear you. And I can, I can modulate how I talk to you or the news that I might deliver to you. I can adjust my pace. I can adjust the information that I give out. You know, we can all react to each other in a, in a more productive way. Mm -hmm. Um, versus if everyone's got their guard up, that's all anyone's concerned with. They're not concerned with the good of the company at that point. They're not concerned with driving revenue. They're not concerned with um, creating innovation. They're concerned with protecting their own skin. Right. So unless you have that vulnerability in place where people can feel safe, it's not that we all have to end up crying after every meeting. I think that's the other fear (laughs) that a lot of skeptics have about this. (laughs) This is why, you know, empathy isn't just about feeling what another person is feeling. It's, It's understanding where they're coming from so that you can adjust the situation. You can adapt. You can figure out a better approach. You can find common ground. And if, you know, taking this outside of the work world, if you look at like society in general, you know, a lot of us differing across political lines, Mm -hmm. if if we could all just have a decent conversation, we probably Mm -hmm. realize that many of us are after the same things. Yeah. We just have different approaches for how to get there. But at least we could try to start having common ground and say, okay, let's, let's at least agree at the lowest common denominator, we both want this, you know, going back to the work setting, we both want this project to succeed, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. But you want to, you want to go 
plan A and I want to go plan B. So let's like, let's like retrofit this solution into something that works for both of us because we both want to end up at the same destination. Nice. Oh, snaps to everything that you just said. <laughs> nodding my head the entire Thank time. You. Thank you. I mean, I, I wish it was that easy to just say like, oh, you can just do it. But that's why, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the book, I talk about this is a practice. We have to keep practicing this and we have to keep strengthening that empathy muscle because empathy is really easy in theory. It's really easy when we think about like this nirvana of everybody getting along. It's harder when it's the jerky sales guy or it's the like, arrogant coworker, or it's the like tone deaf boss you're dealing with, you know, it's like, it's harder for, for people we don't necessarily like, Mm. but that's where you actually have to dig deep and you have to practice it. It's just like going to the gym. You've got to strengthen that muscle over and over again. And just, just because you get the, you know, the six pack abs doesn't mean you stop working out. Yeah. You got to keep them. Right. <laughs> right. It's uh, even like what you shared earlier, that piece around like the fear that everyone's going to cry after the meeting's over. <laughs> yeah. like, the thing that comes up for me is like, oh, it's such an interesting like black and white way to look at it. Totally. Because then if that's the fear, then it's almost like this extremism and then you don't even have to try it. You're like, well, right. this is, it's either going to be this way or everyone's going to cry. Right. And I would rather keep it the way that it is, you know, instead of trying something new. Um, but I, I think it's been such a, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, so how about telling people like, but what happens if we all leave the room like totally jazzed and energized? (laughs) Maybe we're not all crying. Maybe we're all hugging each other because we're so excited to get to work. Yeah, right. That's the other, that's another alternative universe that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's Mm -hmm. like reminding people that like emotion doesn't equal sob, everyone devolving into sobs. It might, but it doesn't have to. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I think it requires a certain level of courage and self-awareness mm-hmm. in order to do that. And I think, you know, that's been a really profound gift in the work that I've like the interpersonal work that I've done and the healing work that I've done mm-hmm. is a lot of the things that I held against myself as mm-hmm. problems or things that were broken about me or, you know, whatever it might be, the, the more time that I spend with it, the more compassion I, you know, come to have for myself, right. which means that when I go out and I connect with other people, it just becomes so much easier to see, at least from my perspective, that everyone's doing the best that they can with the tools that they have in any moment. And some people have better tools than other people. All just based on how they grew up, how, what their parents were like, and you know, the traumas right. that they had when they grew up. Um, but it's just so interesting, you know, how much easier it becomes to like forgive people and have compassion for people when you just start to realize that like everyone wants the same things. It's right. just some people and, don't know how to get it. And you know what? It. Even if they don't, it's it is about that's the number one thing is none of this works unless you start with you. Right. right. You have to practice presence and acceptance and empathy and forgiveness for yourself. And that sounds so trite. And, but you know, that's why I quoted a Buddhist nun in my book about business, because Mm. it's true. Like if you are coming from a place of fear or lack of confidence or anxiety, there's no space for you to then see the situation for what it really is. You're too busy, like making up stories in your own head, right? It's you're distracted. But Mm -hmm. if you can make that space and ground yourself and kind of put yourself outside of it, then you make the space to adopt another person's point of view and see things for what they really are, where you're mm-hmm. not necessarily emotionally charged about it or whatever. Like, so you, you know, doing that work, I'm in the middle of reading, um, Daniel Goleman wrote a book about his, all his interviews with the Dalai Lama and it's mm-hmm. called a force for good or the force for good. And it's literally a book about leadership. 
from the Dalai Lama. And he's talking about how he's able to, you know, when he was younger, he was very impatient. He was very, you know, all the things that we don't associate with the Dalai Lama, but he's like, but I learned over time to, to find ways not to squelch those emotions. Let's, let's be clear. You don't want right. to like squelch your emotions, but to let them pass through you so that you can clear your mind enough to see a situation for what it really is in the mm -hmm. moment and mm -hmm. not let your emotions get the best of you. You can, you can have your emotions and obviously feel what you feel, but you don't have to let them dictate your actions. Right. And this you don't is have you know, to... what I try to teach my son. And, and, you know, but I'm, I'm his mom and I'm still learning that lesson too. So it's a practice. Oh, you don't have it figured out yet? No, I wish I did. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I, don't tell him that, but I'm not the perfect parent. <laughs> He's probably figured that out by now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like the whole idea of, you know, you don't have to become your emotions. Right. Just like you don't have to become your fear. You can actually right. have it and then take action in spite of it. Right. Right. And that's why, <laughs> you know, that's why I think, Whatever you need to do to create the environment that makes it easy for you to come out of that negativity is what you need to do. So, for example, one of the traits I talked about in the book is that you have to cultivate your own self-confidence, exactly what we were just talking about here. And mm -hmm. so how do you do that, right? It, what I said earlier, like, do you have like a high five file in your email where every time you get kudos or praise or a sweet email from a client or whatever, I stick it in that folder and then nice. um, in those moments where that imposter syndrome comes along and I go, well, you know, why did this person who started after me, why are they so much more successful than I am? Or why, mm -hmm. you know, why this, why that, why me? Blah. You revisit that and you go, okay, I know that this is just a fleeting feeling right now that I'm yeah. doing this. I, I know that I've helped people and I've added value and maybe this one thing didn't work out, but it's not an indictment of who I am as as an expert or as an entrepreneur or what have you, because you show me one successful entrepreneur who's never had a failure and you're going to show me a ghost because that, that person doesn't <laughs> exist. I mean, Richard Branson had how many businesses that failed right. in the midst of all the ones that we know and love. Right. So mm -hmm. every good entrepreneur, every good, every good, even if you're not an entrepreneur and you're just, you know, climbing the corporate ladder, everybody mm -hmm. has had those failures and it's mm -hmm. how you rebound from and from them. And what do you put in your environment to, to, to bring you out of those emotions or help you work through those emotions when those moments hit? It's sort of like, how do you shore up your defenses? Right? Yeah. Nice. My uh, coach refers to it as a, um, uh, oh man, a well-being fire escape. Yes. So <laughs> when yes. something happens, it's like, what's the drill? What's the drill? Who are we talking to? And what's your, uh, what's your uh, emergency, you know, in California, oh, it's always yes. like, what's your emergency evacuation plan? It's like, what's your, <laughs> what's your emotional evacuation plan? Mine is first giving myself permission to say, screw it and walk yeah. away from whatever I'm doing. Um, second is meditation or physical movement. So actually like mm -hmm. getting grounded into my body. Mm -hmm. um, third is acknowledgement, which, when you were talking about the kudos mm. folder, I feel so lucky and so blessed to be in a community where acknowledgement is very normal and, and very much so encouraged. So, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of every um, conversation that I have pretty much or every team meeting that I have with the people on my team, we always do acknowledgements. So every, you'll, you'll pick somebody to acknowledge you and I can reach out to anybody in my coaching network and ask them for acknowledgement, you know, and they'll, and they'll remind me of who I am in a sense. Oh, I love um, that. But yeah, being and able to fall back nobody's on Nobody's acknowledgement of, yeah, nobody's acknowledgement of your success takes away from theirs either. 
Exactly. Like that's the thing, right? It's like, yes. it's okay for you to go like, man, Hayden, you're killing it right now. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not really in a good place right now, but you're killing it. Like, yeah. it doesn't take away from your success to, to give that acknowledgement to other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a gift in a lot of ways. Um, one thing that I wanted to circle back to, you mentioned it at the beginning, but um, you mentioned an experience that you had with a, a, a near fatal brain, uh, brain aneurysm. Oh, that. Yeah, that, that small thing. Um, <laughs> I actually, I was really curious about it because, mm -hmm. you know, I, it's so interesting in this work. I find that with, um, with, with folks who come to me, you know, either the pain has gotten so great from what they uh, have been experiencing at work, or maybe they had something, you know, some sort of near fatal, uh, you know, experience or whatever it might be. Um, or more rarely, um, they're really they're really keen on a vision and nothing is wrong, but they want to shift things up and have things go differently. Um, but I find most, most of the time there's some sort of pain or something has happened recently that has showed them that they don't want to continue doing the things that they're doing. And mm -hmm. I would always imagine that in having that kind of experience, you very quickly come to realize like here are the things that I think are important that are actually no longer important or here are the ways that you know I've been prioritizing things or here are the ways that I've been kidding myself whatever it might mm -hmm. be so mm -hmm. I wanted to just get uh, like a little bit from you on what that experience was like for you like what the what the takeaways were you know uh, from that like what you learned about yourself in that kind of experience yeah and I'm happy to share that um, as I mentioned I, I wrote about that experience in a memoir called rebooting my brain so I'm mm -hmm. very open about it and very open about it within the context of my work too which was mm -hmm. another like don't tell people you know I'm like well okay but this is me like yeah, you know. yeah. but it's funny that you say this because just a couple of days ago I shared a meme on Instagram or something it was a quote I saw that said about the situation we're all in right now mm -hmm. and it said in your rush it was some I'm paraphrasing in your rush to return to normal think careful, carefully about what you actually want to return to. Mm, and I was like, nice. Oh, I got chills. Like I was like, and that, that wasn't that. exactly the quote, but it was, it was that, that, that sentiment. Uh, sentiment. Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, in 2008, I had a, a totally unexpected, um, brain aneurysm rupture. And there's, it's a whole long story around that. I, I had like a month and a half of symptoms and I basically don't remember the entire month of August in 2008. Um, wow. I didn't start sort of getting my short-term memory back until September, but yeah, I had, I was first of all, super fortunate that I ended up collapsing when my husband had decided to come home from work early that day. Mm -hmm. So he was home when I collapsed and I got to the hospital quickly. Um, but it did cause cognitive damage. Um, mm -hmm. and I was, I'm totally giving you the cliff notes, but I was very fortunate that I had resources. I had the right rehab therapies, Right. And I'm sort of like a, you know, my doctors were like, yeah, like 80% of what you went through, you shouldn't be like back working and speaking and writing. Wow. Like, yeah. So, um, 80% of the people who had what I had. And so the, the, wow. the aneurysm, the type of stroke that I had, cause it was a type of stroke, I think 45% of those people never even make it to the hospital. So, wow. um, but yeah, I had cognitive deficits that I had to overcome and it was, it was actually a little bit harder, I think, because and this is why now I'm a huge advocate for brain injury awareness and I, I serve on boards and I do teachings and I speak at conferences and it's because people don't understand because they can't see it. So they mm. look at you and they go, Oh, you look fine. Right. right. So why aren't you the person that you used to be? Why are you, um, you know, less, less get up and go. Why are you, mm. you know, for some people it's like they lose their social graces. Some people mm -hmm. can't speak at, as fast. Some people can't, you know, 
they can't go back to work because maybe their work was like very detail oriented and they can no longer use those parts of their brain. So um, I learned a lot of valuable lessons, but not, this is the thing I wrote about in my memoir, not right away. Like everybody, Uh-oh. you know, it was like, it was like a few months after and people would be like, well, why did you learn from this? And what like wisdom can you impart? And I'm like, mm. I just am trying to get to walk my dog every day. Like right. that's where I'm at right now. Right. So I think a lot of people with those experiences, it takes time. And I, I didn't write the book until two years after because mm-hmm. I needed that time to reflect. But um, I was forced to work differently because of my issues. Like, for example, um, I couldn't process information the way I could before. So I used to be a master multitasker, even though no one is actually a multitasker, but that's for <laughs> yeah. another podcast. Um, and so I had to learn how to focus on one thing at a time. And it was a source of pride for me in terms of my identity that I could mm-hmm. be that way. And so I had to adapt and be like, no, I can only take two clients, two corporate clients on at a time. Like right. that's all I can do. Or my schedule for the day, I can only schedule like two or three meetings before I start to fatigue. Right. Like I literally was, my brain forced me to work in a different way, but from a like metaphysical standpoint, like those are lessons we should be learning. We should be learning about like, we don't have to do everything at all at once. We should mm-hmm. be pacing ourselves. We should be learning to say no more. Mm-hmm. We should be practicing patience more and understanding that progress is not about the huge leaps and bounds, but it's about the upward trajectory. So mm. I really did my work and ran my business differently after that, partly because I was forced to, but then from an adaptation standpoint, realizing that that's actually something I should have done anyway. Right. So, um, and being able to accept like, okay, where are my, where are my challenges now? Cause they were different from what they were before. And instead of whining and complaining about them or like, why me? You know, it's like, just right. find find a different way to get to your goal. Like if you get right. there, no one's going to care how you got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really, it was, it was learning to work in, in a different way at a different pace. And I still slip up, like you, you fall back on bad habits, like we were talking <laughs> about earlier. And so it's sort of having that, even when you have a near death experience, it, life takes over and the monotony of life takes over. And sometimes those lessons can get lost again. Mm. And so it's really about bringing yourself back to, okay, what's going on for me right now? And why am I feeling this way? Oh, because I forgot it. I overscheduled myself today or, you know, I, yeah. I tried to do too much in this one thing, or I put too much pressure on myself. And so I really learned to work differently. I've always been very committed to quality but really committed to like, it's not the amount that I accomplish. It's, it's the, the quality of those accomplishments that matter. Nice. Totally. And so, you know, you can do all the things you want to do. You don't have to do them all right now. Like keep a list yeah. and keep a goal list and have something for next year. Like <laughs> it's all going to happen. It's all going it, to happen. If you want it to happen, it will. And yeah. if it doesn't, you need to look at maybe it wasn't actually that important to you. That's another yeah. thing I've learned is that, Sometimes you think your goal is so important, but really would you, you know, are you willing to do everything you need to do for that goal? Because if you're not, you know, I, I've always, you know, you, you can appreciate this because you do improv, but I was a professional actress when I was a kid. And then I sort of like left it behind to go major in business, which I don't know what I was doing, but then I wanted, <laughs> then I wanted to get back into it. And I yeah. was like, really, but do I really want to make the sacrifices I have to make? to do this? And the answer was no. Like, otherwise I would have made them. 
right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't look at that as like, oh, you know, my failed dream of becoming a professional actress. It's like, no, what, what was it about that that I wanted to do? I wanted to act. So I act in independent film and I act in, in local theater and I can still accomplish that without giving up the things that you would have to give up if that really, really, really was important to you. Nice. Yeah. Creating a, a version mm-hmm. of that that actually supports you and where you're at and, you know, the lifestyle sure. that you're creating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the the piece that you shared around slowing down. I've definitely, you know, in light of everything recently have been very much so in that boat. Mm-hmm. Um, like slow, slow down. Right. Like let's actually get really clear on, you know, how I want to live my life and what are the things that excite me and, you know, what right. do I, you know, want to go out and create. And um, I also just, you know, quickly just want to acknowledge and not stay over the, you know, not only the courage and the commitment that it takes to come back from something like that and, you know, continue to look at what you want to create and, um, you know, work towards it, but then also like the level of empathy and compassion for when you fall back into those same types of routines. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's really Thank brilliant. You. Yeah, Thank you. And absolutely. you know, it's, it's so funny because it's, it's not even about, I mean, I, and things change at different stages of your life. And people used to tell me that when I was in my twenties and I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm always going to be work hard, play hard. I'm always going to be like (laughs) going after it, hustle. And you, you get that message from so many, you know, successful, I don't even, you know, influencers out there where Mm -hmm. it's like hustle and grind and go. And that works for some people, but then you have to look at, like I said earlier, does it feel good for you? Right. And if it doesn't, you can still find a way to be successful and not have to, be that way if that doesn't feel right for you so we don't have to be this version of ourselves that's like amped up all the time like "Ah," you know and (laughs) and now that I'm older and I have a kid like things are different you know so um Mm -hmm. you know not that you get lazy and not that you get complacent it's just like it's just different yeah I think it's just loving where you're at for sure uh, honoring exactly where you're at. Yeah, I, like that. I want that bumper sticker. Loving where you're at. <laughs> I'm going to send you one. I'll make okay, one cool. and I'll send them to you. <laughs> um, oh, amazing. Well, cool. Well, Maria, where can folks find you online? So they can find me. My hub is red-slice, red-slice. That's my website. And I have a blog there. Would love for folks to sign up for my mailing list and be part of Red Slice Nation. I'm also on Instagram at Red Slice Maria. Um, mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter at Red Slice. Um, I'm on LinkedIn a lot more lately. Um, they can find me there. Maria J. Ross, I think is the one that comes up because there's a bunch of Maria Rosses on there. And I'm on Facebook. There's a, a Facebook page for Red Slice that people can join um, and and catch me there. But yeah, that's that's where I'm, I'm at. It just If folks get on my email list and um, want to stay in touch with me and want to get you know periodic insights and inspiration, that would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. And that's where I am. Love it. Thanks. Um, and the second piece that I love to close the show with, uh, is what's a piece of wisdom that you have for the folks listening to elevate themselves, their communities in the world. I think it's that you need to kind of, we, we mentioned this a little bit earlier is, is go double down on your own talents and figure out how you can use your talents within your sphere of influence to make the world better. We all don't have to be CEOs of global companies or presidents or whatever to like make a difference in the world. You can make a difference within your own sphere of influence, even if that's 50 people, even if Mm. that's five people, like how are you using your talents 
you know, so don't worry about like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just entry level or mid level, or I just have a mailing list of a hundred people or whatever. You can influence those people. Use your talents to do it. Mm. Amazing. Uh, and the way that I love to close the shows is with acknowledgement. So Maria, are you open to me acknowledging you? I am. Awesome. Um, uh, Maria, there's a lot I want to acknowledge you for. It's honestly, <laughs> it's just been such a pleasure to be able oh, to connect you. with you and talk with you in, in the past hour. Like I feel super energized after leaving this conversation. Yay! Um, but a, a couple things that, that I really just want to highlight. Um, I really just want to acknowledge you for your openness and your humility. Like it's so refreshing and so encouraging to be able to connect with someone like yourself who has been so successful and has created a lot of things for themselves. Um, but you have an air of like, it's, you know, it's totally fine. It's not anything special that I'm doing. Like I'm just out here living my life. Um, and I love it, uh, cause it makes it so approachable and it makes it so engageable. Um, and you're an incredibly engaging person. Um, I really just, also want to acknowledge you for the levity and the joy that you bring. Like me leaving this conversation feeling energized, I am confident that I'm one of <laughs> um, many, many people throughout your day who get the same kind of experience. So thanks for being Aww. that kind of force out in the world. Um, thanks for living a counterintuitive life. <laughs> like I think that those are the, <laughs> in, the way, in the best way, in the best way, in the best way. Cause I think, you know, that's what life is supposed to be. Like mm-hmm. life is supposed to be where you feel good. You do the things that make you happy. Um, and, and you do the things that are centered around empathy and love and, and being heart centric, um, and being, being able to do that, like being able to be a, a force for empathy and compassion and vulnerability out in the world and also being just like a totally badass, super powerful leader is such a cool and um, powerful combination. Um, so thanks for being that paradox. It's amazing. It's incredible. Um, I'm super excited to read this book and uh, I really just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing your insights with us. Oh my gosh, this is exactly what I needed today. Thank you. (laughs) You're so welcome. (laughs) Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this show and want to stay up to date on new episodes or other special offers, I'd invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if there's ever anything I can do to support you, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. See you next time.